the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. In today's fast-paced world, our lives are marked by a singular focus on achievement. We prioritize doing well over being well. According to today's guest, Naj Behesti, the truth is we can have both success and well-being. Naj is an executive wellness coach, speaker, Forbes contributor and CEO with more than 20 years of experience working with Fortune 500 companies. She once worked with Steve Jobs, who was her first and most influential mentor. Nas is the author of the book, Pause, Breathe, Choose, Become the CEO of Your Well-Being. Welcome, Nas. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So, Steve Jobs was your first boss and mentor, and he is the inspiration behind your new book. Can you tell us about your experience working with him? Yeah, he was the first person who showed me up close and personally what it truly meant to be the CEO of your well-being and the CEO of a successful company. He truly embodied both, and that was an example that I really wanted to emulate. And the Steve I knew was really an extraordinary visionary who was laser focused and demanded excellence. And he really taught me uh, what he, the lessons he taught me are what I carry with me today. They're my daily healthy habits for high performance. So what does that mean to be the CEO of your own life? What were some of the lessons that he taught you? Well, to be the CEO of your own well-being is really about Um, considering your well-being like a company run. So well-being at its core is about being happy, energized, engaged, healthy, and and prosperous. And it's a really holistic approach. So it really means promoting good mental, emotional, physical, social, uh, financial, professional, and environmental well-being. All of those areas, if you consider them different departments in your life, it's about showing up fully engaged, happy and energized in all those areas. And uh, Steve was really, you know, showing up to work full of energy. Um, He was very passionate and driven building Apple to be the company that it is. And he had strong relationships. He was very health conscious. He ate very healthily. He exercised And, you know, he had a sense of purpose and passion. And so all those areas were fulfilled in his life. And so seeing that working for him uh, was really highly influential. And I kind of took that at the time. I didn't realize that that was what it meant to be the CEO of your well-being. But in hindsight, when I look back and connect the dots, he, he truly embodied that. Well, you know, when I started all of this work, it it really was the result of going through a lot of loss and trauma in my own life. And one of the biggest lessons that I learned at that time was that we are a sum of the parts, the mind, body, soul, and spirit. And really, that's what my Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life brand is about. It is connecting those Mm -hmm. dots for personal and professional success. So when people are, are thinking about their professional life, what do you think they're doing 
I don't want to say wrong, but that they may not be bringing to the table that holds them back? Well, they may be considering their professional life just something to, you know, bring home a paycheck, right? Mm -hmm. There's no passion or purpose involved in what they do. And we spend so much time at work that it's really a shame to kind of dismiss um, an opportunity that can be very meaningful and fulfilling. And, you know, I understand that not everyone is as fortunate as I am or you are to, you know, love what you do, like what Steve, you know, said that, to do great work is to love what you do. However, even within a a job that you just consider a job and not your passion and purpose, you could still find meaning in it in in daily intentions and daily purpose rather than the bigger like macro level of purpose of like your life mission or life purpose, but rather you could still find joy and gratitude within your day with the people you work with, with the smaller tasks you're responsible for, or whatever it is, it's a choice. So it's a choice to either be happy in your current um, career, or if you don't want to choose to be happy, and it's just something that cannot make you happy, change it. You know, life's too short. So then do what you love instead. You worked at Apple and with Steve when it was early on in your career. Did that experience shape your direction? Are you doing something different today than you really thought you'd be doing back then? It definitely shaped my experience back then. I had no idea that working with Steve as my first job out of college, I really didn't know where I would end up. It was really experiential. Um, and so I just really took it as a, let's, let's see how this goes. It was supposed to be just a temporary job. It was never intended to be a long-term job. And most of the other, uh, actually all of the other executive assistants working, uh, at Apple, that was their career. You know, they were much older and they had been, you know, they were very experienced and had been doing it their whole, their whole career. And they were excellent at their job. I was just very, very junior and green. And so definitely, I knew, though, that that wasn't going to be my my full-time career. We've all been living through some very difficult times. This this past year has really challenged so many of us. We've had to endure financial upset, uh, loss, grief, uh, concerns about our health. So many things that really, you know, we, we probably never thought we would be facing, especially all at once. And you have principles that you believe can help us manage stress and build resilience. Can you share a few of those with us? Sure. There's so many that I'll I'll start with the simplest, uh, which is my pause, breathe, choose method. And that's that you can use anytime, anywhere. And to take a pause is really a mission of being mindful because when we start to worry or feel anxious or stressed or overwhelmed uh, or sad, just any, you know, feelings that we don't want to feel um, because it could be taking us away from the present. So typically we're either living in the past or in the future. And especially right now with all this uncertainty and stress, it's, it's more of a challenge to live in the present moment um, because we're either facing what has happened in the past and then not knowing what's going to happen in the future. So if we're mindful, we could take a pause when we when we recognize that our mind is wandering or we're feeling stressed or anxious or overwhelmed. Take that pause and remember to take a mindful breath. Just breathing mindfully, consciously is is an act of um, mitigating and releasing some of that stress and not spiraling into more of a stressful state. And when you're present, then you're able to make a mindful choice. And again, living in the past or future or on autopilot or sleep, then we are not making the best choices for ourselves. And that can just lead one, one, you know, choices, one choice against another. So we want to start with making mindful choices and being present. So pause, breathe, choose is mindfulness in action. And that's actually a a wonderful approach because, you know, we are conditioned, we are designed to think in a negative manner. It's Mm -hmm. for our own survival. Humans are, are built that way. 
And when you're going through a challenge, you very easily, as you said, you go into autopilot, your subconscious programming, and you start to unravel. But by taking that pause and becoming mindful of what it is you're thinking and then calming yourself down, as you say, you have the opportunity then to make the choice because you are in the present moment. And rather than just you know, spiraling down, you know, where we go with all of the things that may happen that usually never do. This is a great approach that you just shared with us. Thank you. It's very effective and very easy. So, I mean, I shouldn't say easy. It's simple. Sometimes it's not so easy because, again, when we are in that state, we have to be, the trick is to be mindful to snap out of that state and and recognize it and then self-direct or, you know, auto-correct. In keeping with the theme of what we've just gone through over the past year, what do you think the impact will be on business leaders going forward? What's the most important theme for 2021? Well, the most important theme, I would say, is to be agile and adapt to uncertainty and, you know, be very, very resilient. So, Start building your resilience reserves for anything that could happen in the future, knowing that um, your self-care and and treating your employees well is really important because without, you know, your employees' well-being and your own well-being, it's, it's really challenging to run a company and be successful and be innovative, you know, and be able to adapt and if you need it to pivot you need to be well in order to do well. So they go hand in hand. So many of us, when we go through a challenging situation and we experience pain, we want the pain to stop, obviously. We, we don't want to feel that. But do you believe that that pain can really serve as a catalyst to help us find our purpose? I, I know in my own life, that is what was the beginning at the root of the work that I do now. I would not be doing this had I not gone through all of that loss and pain. So for me, pain led to purpose. Do you agree that that can be a catalyst for other people? Absolutely. And it is a choice, though, because pain can completely destroy people if they allow it, you know, because pain is, I mean, could could paralyze one. And, you know, there's different different levels of pain, different stages of pain. And um, so when we come out the other side, it's our choice to use that pain as our greatest teacher for growth. Or we use that pain to define who we are and, you know, uh, which is a much more disempowering state rather than an empowering state to take charge and, and use that as lessons and, and a way to evolve. Um, so I definitely think that you can use pain as your greatest teacher for growth and to find your purpose as well. Naz, when you were talking about Steve Jobs earlier, you had said that he was very focused, very driven, and he brought that into the workplace. Do you think that, you know, with social media and all of the distractions that we have in our world today, do you think that that makes us less productive? Does it break our focus? And if you do, how can we get that back? Absolutely, if if we allow it, right? Again, there's it's all these are all choices that we make. We can choose to, you know, go on social media or, you know, check that email as it comes in if we're in the middle of something or answer that call when you're in the middle of something or you could be very driven, I mean, dri- like laser focused like Steve and just be present in what you're working on, on and not let any distractions get in the way and or set timers for yourself, for example. And then when you take a break, then check those things, check your emails or whatever you need to do. But it's much more challenging these days with, you know, all your buzzing devices um, trying to get your attention at any given moment. And if you do check email you could get or social media or answer that call, whatever the distraction is, you can easily get sucked into it. So again, being mindful is about, you know, being fully aware of, okay, if I'm going to choose to now take, take myself away from what I'm at the task at hand, what I'm working on right now, then I'm going to only do this for a certain amount of time or not get, you know, tell myself not to get sucked into anything further So 
it's just about being fully aware of your actions and, you know, just going on, for example, YouTube to check something, or if you want to, you know, find something online, you can easily get sucked into a rabbit hole and something you thought would take a minute could end up being, you know, many minutes or even hours <laughs> if you allow it. So for sure, your productivity can be compromised if you allow it. So it's more of a challenge. You just have to make more of an effort to not let that happen. I hear so many people complain about, you know, they say, oh, I couldn't get anything done today. And then they'll say, yeah, I went on Facebook and three hours <laughs> later, I'm still there. So I think that's a great point. It's making the choice rather than complaining. It's doing something about it. Right. And there is now thanks to the Apple phone and I'm sure other phones have it too, but you can, you can, um, put limits as to how long you want to be on social media. And I have something pop up. I, I put a 10 minute limit per day. So when I've gone over 10 minutes, it will pop up and say, you know, whatever you've reached your, you've spent 10 minutes online. So I'm aware, even if I lose track of time, you know, there's notifications that remind you and put you back on track. So it's about utilizing those notifications and timers or whatever, however you want to do it because it is very easy to lose track of time and get sucked into something that you weren't planning on, on doing. If you could bullet point your message about how to become the CEO of your well-being, what would those bullet points be? It would be to choose to take charge of your life in all areas of your life and use a pause, breathe, choose method. Be mindful, take care of yourself, and do what you love. I mean, those are really the main main things. I mean, there's a lot more, but those are specific to Pause, Breathe, Choose. The book is Pause, Breathe, Choose, Become the CEO of Your Well-Being. If you'd like to get more information about Naz and her work, you can visit nazbeheshti.com. Naz, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? What do you want to leave our listeners with? Well, I would love for you to take charge of your life and truly prioritize your well-being because without your well-being, um, it's, it's really difficult or challenging and not fulfilling to, you know, live your best life. So take charge and, and pause, breathe, choose to live your best life today. Nas, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled, leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. It's time for To Your Health. Joining us today is Eileen Lashinsky, the founder and creator of Find Body Freedom, a program developed for women who want to change their relationship with their body. For over three decades, Eileen battled with her own issues with body image, weight, and her relationship with food. After trying every diet on the market, she realized that the answers to her struggles were right inside her body. Since then, Eileen has been working with women to guide them to discover their own innate body wisdom and to find body freedom. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you for joining us. 
Oh, thank you, Joan. I'm so happy to be here. I mean, today is the third part in a series we've been doing on intuitive eating. And today we're going to discuss when to eat. And there's a lot that's been researched and spoken about the importance of when we should be eating. We're all used to using the clock to tell us when we should eat. But is this the best approach? You're asking a wonderful question. You really are. And I certainly would not say that the research isn't valuable. The research that says you should eat or one should eat at certain times. I am telling you, though, what I know from 30 years of both personal and professional experience, that people feel happier healthier and have their food weight and body image issues more stabilized when they eat from hunger, true body hunger, not urges and cravings, but true body hunger and not from the clock on the wall that says we have to eat in 12 uh, hour intervals or 16 hour intervals, or we have to eat because it's 12 o'clock and it's lunchtime. My clock is my body clock. And I know when I get hungry, I fuel myself and I notice a huge change in body energy and in brain capacity. Eileen, you know that so many times a day we may think to ourselves, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry, I have to eat something. But how do we know when we are truly hungry? You ask such wonderful questions, Joan. And this is about what I referenced earlier, becoming intimate with your own hunger. I get a sense really prior to a a long and hard hunger signal, such as a growling belly or stomach cramps, I get a a little emptiness in my belly that actually I visualize as a hole, a hole in back of my belly button. And in that hole, there is a little teeny voice that says, Eileen, you're starting to get hungry. One of the women that I have used as a mentor and a guru, Janine Ross, says that hunger is like a tap on the shoulder. And actually, she goes on to say, and I experienced this, hunger is like three taps on the shoulder. And what I just described as that little hole is the first tap. Eileen, you're starting to get hungry. And when I get that, I know that 10, 20 minutes later, somewhere in that time frame, I am going to need to eat. So this would be the time to prepare my food. The second tap happens, and this is a bigger hole, and there may be grumbling of the belly in there, and maybe a little cramping because we're hungry, and this is actually the time, because we're prepared, we can sit down at a table and in a very mindful way eat our meal. What we don't want to have happen is the third tap. And this is about getting to the point of I'm ravenous. I am famished. I could eat out the whole supermarket, eat everything in it without chewing anything. And that's how ravenous I am and my brain is misfiring. And the part of the problem with doing that, and many of us women do do that, that when we do that, we are ending up eating two to three times the amount of food and calories that we need. And so we think we're doing ourselves a favor by not eating, and actually we're doing damage by not eating. Eileen, by learning to tune into those physical cues that the body sends, would that help us push aside all of the emotional eating that we do? There's something to be said about, uh, again, this is part of getting intimate with your hunger. We have to learn the difference between true body hunger, which is what I'm addressing with intuitive eating, Mm -hmm. and mind hunger. Mind hunger, which is attached to urges and cravings that are not about body hunger, that are about emotional eating. Those two things are very separate. However, When we are in a rhythm of feeding ourselves intuitively, we're actually able to step back and say, hmm, I'm starting to get an urge or a craving for something, and I know I'm not hungry. 
I know that something got kicked up in my life, but see, the ability then to step back gives us an opportunity to say, ah, these are issues in my life that I still need to work on. I've kind of sort of got the intuitive eating down pat, but if these uh, moments where I feel compelled to eat and I'm not hungry, well, then these are about things in my life that I still need to do some repair work about. Eileen, as we wrap up this intuitive eating series, what are your final thoughts? What's the takeaway that you want everyone to know about an intuitive eating practice? Our bodies will tell us how to move through life. Our minds can trick us, and they do, and our bodies don't because they can't. And so this is why intuitive eating is so much a foundation of the Find Body Freedom Program, because once we are uh, living intuitive eating, then we can take a look at everything else that's going on. And we get further solidified in the knowledge and the belief and the reality that our bodies hold this innate wisdom in so many areas not just in the area of of food and eating. The body will tell us everything we need to know that will put us on the path to find body freedom. Eileen, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Eileen and her work, you can visit findbodyfreedom.com. And if you'd like to hear parts one or two or anything else from Eileen, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Eileen. We'll be right back. Do you see the value in what you have? I recently made a virtual presentation to a group, and after I was done presenting, we had a discussion about interpersonal relationships. During our conversation, many people expressed concern about how easily they are being replaced. They felt like there was no value given to them and or a relationship by a friend, partner, family member, or employer. Hearing so many people express the same feeling made me start to wonder if we have become a society of disposables. It reminded me of an expression my mother used to say, out with the old and in with the new. This is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. It's time to see the value in what you have. It seems like just about every aspect of our life today is disposable. We throw away televisions, computers, clothing, phones, food, furniture, and so much more. By contrast, when I was growing up, we fixed everything. There was a neighborhood television repairman. We ate leftovers for dinner. We took our shoes to the local shoemaker for new heels. Baby diapers were cloth, and appliances were capped until they could no longer be repaired. We drove the same car until it died on the road, and marriages lasted until death do us part. While it is true that we have more conveniences and opportunities than our parents and grandparents, I believe our ancestors had something that many of us lack the ability to attach to and appreciate what they had. Today, we want immediate gratification. If it's broken, an old model, or not working the way we want, we simply throw it out and replace it with something new, something shiny and upgraded. Is it possible that we are carrying our new disposable mentality into our relationships? How many people do you know that cut off contact with someone with whom they had a disagreement? They end the relationship and find someone new to fill the void. How many marriages suffer from infidelity because of boredom or not having a particular need met? One spouse moves on to someone new and creates a new family, often breaking ties with their old partner and even their children. How many employers replace or demote an employee for a minor infraction without giving that person a second chance? They hire a replacement. If any of these scenarios sound familiar to you, and I know they do to me, Perhaps it's time to examine how we interact with others. Are we looking for a quick fix? Would we be willing to cut someone out of our life because we are angry? Are we considering replacing a spouse or have already done so before exploring every avenue to repair the relationship? Would we fire an employee without giving it a second thought? If you believe you may have adopted a disposable mentality, 
Now's the time to make a change. Start nurturing your relationships. Put in the time and do the necessary work. Nothing worth having comes easily. Appreciate and value what you have, material items and relationships, and stop keeping an open eye looking for something better. Empathize with others before taking action. Repair something before tossing it in the trash. If you feel like someone who has been replaced, remember, we can't change or control other people and how they behave, but we can change our behavior. We can change the way we respond and the way we treat others. And little by little, perhaps, our treatment of others may just start a movement in a more positive direction. Who knows? One day, we may learn to treasure the old and forget the new. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiring tips, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. My next guest, Dan Butner, has traveled the world to learn the secrets of the happiest people, how they live, eat, and socialize, and how these factors contribute to their overall health and longevity. Dan created Blue Zones, through which he works to help people live a happy, healthy, long life. He has just released his first cookbook, The Blue Zones Kitchen, which is filled with recipes inspired by Blue Zones around the world. Welcome, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a real delight to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Dan, your work has been around something called Blue Zones. For those who may be unfamiliar with this term, what is a Blue Zone? Well, it began with a National Geographic project about 15 years ago to find the statistically longest-lived people in the world. Uh, We found them in Okinawa, Japan, longest-lived men in Sardinia, Italy, Nicoya, Costa Rica, a little island called Ikaria in Greece, and then among the Seventh-day Adventists. So we know that only about 20% of how long you live is dictated by genes. The other 80% is lifestyle and environment. So we struck off on this worldwide project, 15 years to reverse engineer uh, longevity, find the common denominators. I've written uh, three other Blue Zones books, but I just at a certain point realized that in America, the runway... Uh, for so many Americans, for a healthier lifestyle begins with their mouth. So I decided to not only uh, find the the common diet of longevity among all these blue zones, but actually collect some recipes from some of these 80, 90-year-old cooks who've been cooking the same way for 500 years. And the result is the blue zone kitchen. So let's talk about the guidelines for how the world's longest living people eat. What types of foods do they eat, and what do they tend to avoid? So you want to think cheap peasant food. So there's 95 to 100% of their dietary intake is a whole plant-based food. Uh, it's a very high-carbohydrate diet. flies right in the face of keto or paleo. Uh, about 60, about two-thirds of what they eat are complex carbohydrates. When I say complex, I mean lentils, not lollipops. Um, the, the five pillars of every longevity diet in the world are whole grains, believe it or not, um, corn, rice, and wheat, greens of all kinds, uh, nuts. If you're eating a handful of nuts a day, it's probably adding two years to your life expectancy. Tubers, like potatoes, uh, in Okinawa, the longest lived women in the world ate uh, uh, sweet potatoes every day. And then uh, the, the, the big longevity all-star, and if people feel the need to take a longevity supplement, I recommend 120 beans every day. If you're eating about a cup of beans a day, it's probably adding about four years to your life expectancy. So uh, we spent a good bit of time in this book um, showing people how to make beans taste delicious. So... These regions, do they experience the same type of lifestyle diseases that we do, such as obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease? Yes, they suffer it, but at a fraction of the rate we do. So you bring up a good point. You know, we're right in the middle of this corona tragedy, but we can't forget that Americans will die this year of an avoidable chronic disease. And that is largely because of the way we're eating in this country. 
And um, these people in blue zones can really show the way for us to, to not only avoid those diseases, but also keep our immune systems uh, stronger. Most Americans dying of the coronavirus uh, are dying because they also have uh, um, diabetes or are suffering from obesity. So uh, it's really doubly important at this time to take the time to learn how to cook uh, whole plant-based foods for our families. So you just gave us a, a basic guideline of the types of foods we should eat, and then you just mentioned it's important to learn how to cook them. So is there a particular way that they cook the food that makes a difference? Yeah, so they don't deep fry food. You know, they, they do use lots of olive oil, um, but they, they tend to saute their foods at low heat or finish their their soups and stews with, with a drizzling olive oil on top rather than, you know, frying it hard, frying the vegetables hard. I think that's really important. I think one of the big revelations is that most of these recipes can be cooked with just an Instapot. A lot of poor people in America, they, they, they can't afford cookery or they haven't been afforded the opportunity to learn how to use an oven. Or, uh, but almost every American can afford a pressure cooker or an Instapot or a crock pot. And most of these recipes can be, can be made in there. Um, they take less than 20 minutes to assemble and will cost less than a dollar a serving. And they'll be feeding our family uh, healthy food that'll help them not only lose weight, but, but get the number of years we should all be enjoying uh, that, that uh, um, we've been given. And Dan, where can our listeners go to get more information about your work? Bluezones.com. And once again, the title of the book is The Blue Zones Kitchen, 100 Recipes to Live to 100. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. What a delight to talk to you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you a small or mid-sized business owner? Have you been struggling to keep your business afloat during these difficult times and the COVID restrictions? Hi, I'm Ed Lamoureux, an experienced marketing strategist and content creator. Like you and the clients I represent, I've been challenged to raise my business's visibility and that of my clients to attract new customers despite the unprecedented challenges we all face today. One effective way to get the job done is through digital marketing. Many business owners think that marketing is advertising or paid media, commercials, and print ads. While those tactics provide results and should be part of an overall plan, they often come at a hefty price and can take months to deliver return on your investment. Today's marketing success starts with digital media and online platforms where your customers gather and where you should be engaged in conversation. Think of Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and other social media hangouts as gatherings of people who love to share information, recommendations, and content you can create. Having a marketing strategy and creating interesting content, photos, videos, articles, they can all change your fortunes, literally. If you'd like to discuss how you can effectively promote your business without emptying your wallet, connect with me and take advantage of my free 30-minute consultation to brainstorm ideas that will lead to success. Visit LamoreStrategies.com. That's L-A-M-O-U-R Strategies.com. Or email me at Ed at LamoreStrategies.com. Do you suffer from a fear of mistakes? If you do, you can conquer it by changing your attitude. Recognize that past errors, mistakes, and negative experiences do not inhibit your development. As a matter of fact, they contribute to the learning process. Use them as feedback for growth. Have you ever heard the phrase, a setback is a setup for a comeback? It's attributed to the book by the same title by Willie Jolly. If you made a mistake, admit it, learn from it, adjust your thinking, and redirect your necessary efforts toward the goal. Focus on the positive. Deliberately forget the error and dwell upon the successful aspects of the attempt. No one likes to make mistakes. However, everyone does. If you continue to criticize yourself for your past errors, you will perpetuate the very behavior you want to change. The moment you change your mindset and stop giving power to past mistakes, 
you will be freed from the grip the past mistakes had on you. Errors are road signs to direct you on your journey to personal success and achievement. They are necessary in the learning process. When they have served their purpose, move on past them. Take responsibility for your past mistakes. Do not try to shift blame on others or circumstances. Taking responsibility also empowers you. Your attitude determines your growth and success. You have the power to overcome negative conditioning and fill your mind with positive thoughts. Failure is a state of mind. Successful people view setbacks as learning experiences and bounce back even stronger. If you would like to learn more, feel free to reach out to me, Bertha Robinson, at 732-705-5060 or visit my website, star1professional.com. When it comes to working out, do you know what to do? What you want to achieve? Hi, my name is Steve Gutman, owner of Mind Body Dynamics. There are the main components of fitness that can help direct you to goal setting when it comes to working out. They are cardiovascular endurance, muscular endurance, muscular strength, flexibility, and body composition. Once you know where to focus, you can then go in that direction. If you have any questions, need any help or support towards achieving these goals, feel free to reach me at mindbodydine.com. Fear is one of the most powerful forces in life. It affects the decisions we make and the actions we take. And while the primary role of fear is to keep us safe, it often becomes the obstacle that stands between us and our dreams and goals. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. You can allow fear to stop you from taking action, or you can face, challenge, and overcome it. There are rational fears, the ones that are based in reality, such as encountering a bear while on a hike in the woods, and there are irrational fears that keep us stuck. These are the stories we tell ourselves about outcomes we believe will happen. With no factual basis, they usually begin in childhood and remain with us until something is changed. These can be labeled destructive fears. While it's not always easy to recognize our fears and how they keep us stuck, here are a few clues that experts say may help us determine if our life is guided by fear rather than joyful freedom. You see only the downside. You avoid anything new or unknown. You stay small. You are indecisive. How can you move past the fear? First, become aware of what scares you and how you respond. Keep a journal, and when you recognize a fear, jot it down. Then write down how you react when fears arise. Keep track of anything that seems significant. Learning about your fears can help you transform them. Once you are aware of your thoughts and responses, you can employ a few strategies for change. Use your imagination for good. Instead of letting your thoughts take you down a dark hole, imagine yourself in the situation with a positive outcome. Take a time out. Don't react immediately and give yourself some time and space for analysis. Clear your mind by focusing on your breath, taking a walk, or participating in any activity that calms you down. Then, when your mind is clearer, analyze the situation with a new perspective. Talk to a friend or advisor. Gaining insight from someone on the outside can help you see a situation in a different light. Remember, fear is nothing more than false evidence appearing real. You can allow fear to stop you from taking action, or you can face, challenge, and overcome it. The choice is yours. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more empowering tips and strategies, visit joanherman.com. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Mary Petto, a Law of Attraction coach and transformational speaker. She's the author of the book, The Family Guide to the Law of Attraction. Mary is here today to discuss manifesting business success. Welcome, Mary. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, John. I'm happy to be here. So, Mary, you say that we can work with the quantum field and energy to usher in dramatic business growth. Can you explain this to us? How does the law of attraction help us to succeed in business? Well, um, the law of attraction basically says that we manifest everything that is a match with what our intentions are. So our thoughts become things. And that is fundamentally the law of attraction. It's the same science that brings about weird synchronicities and coincidences. And 
Um, as an example, I love to, in my book, I talk about something I call the purple car principle, which says that um, as soon as we lock down a belief or a new idea in our head, all of a sudden signs tend to manifest in front of us. The truth is there's billions of bits of information around us all the time. Um, we tend to only see that which is in alignment with our beliefs and our needs. And so that is why if you saw a cute purple car that you've never seen before in the parking lot at the mall and you go, huh, that car is pretty adorable. I've never seen a car like that. And then you get out onto the highway and there's 10 of them. That's the purple car principle. And it's happened to all of us before. And we think they are magically appearing out of nowhere, but they aren't. What happens is the wiring that we are built with sort of locks down something new that excited us and is important to us. And now in that high vibration state where we're nice and open and driving down the road, now we see all the purple cars that were always there, but we didn't notice before. Well, in business, there is all this opportunity around you all the time. So the trick is how do you play with the quantum field and use the law of attraction to bring all those cooperative components to you? The clients, the situation, the qualified leads, the ideas of who you could reach out to to build your business up, you know, depending on what that business is. Sometimes, you know, maybe I'm talking along the lines of sales, but the same could be said for if you want a promotion, if you have more of um, a corporate role and you want to go from the mail room up to the executive fifth floor, you know, how do we do that? How do we become that person that seemingly um, just is lucky all the time? And the way to do it is to get in alignment and understand how to use the law of attraction. Mary, do we use the law of attraction in the same manner when we're trying to manifest something personally or when we're trying to manifest something for business? Is it the same principle? Well, it absolutely is the same principle, but there are, you know, in anything that um, my clients want to manifest, there's always a particular exercise or uh, a vibration to get oneself into. And actually, some of the greatest techniques for manifesting a business success are things that you've heard of before. Um, one is the fake it till you make it principle. If you're looking for that corporate um, escalation and it sounds negative, but it actually is an exercise in putting out the vibration of what your ultimate intention is, what your ultimate goal is. And so if you start acting like the executive on the fifth floor versus um, somebody that works in the mailroom um, and start internalizing what that feels like, what do you dress like? How do you carry yourself? What time do you get up in the morning? Your vibration is going to be very different and opportunities are going to come at you. People are going to look at you differently. You will start to notice things for instance, the purple cars all around you that can escalate your escalation up to the fifth floor very quickly. So if the fake it till you make it principle is one. Another one I like to talk about um, is like, let's say you're speaking and maybe you've heard of the Superman pose. Um, but before you go out and, and do a maybe it's, you know, doing a presentation at a meeting or um, maybe you actually are speaking, or even if you're about to get on um, an important call with a sales lead, um, to get into this mode of standing tall and putting one's hands on your hips, taking a deep breath, and proclaiming, you know, affirmation style, how powerful you are and what a success you are, really not only helps you internalize what success feels like, but the vibration you're sending out to those around you who you want to influence positively, they feel that, they react to that, and they will sense that. And that is yet another exercise that um, a person could do. So while fundamentally um, the law of attraction is what it is and it works the way it does, there are certain techniques depending on the situation um, that you're looking to manifest that you can put into action. What challenges do people face when using the law of attraction for business success? Number one is not having a clear goal. 
because even though one might say, I want success, without getting a lot of clarity around what that means for you, you're kind of leaving that quantum field in, in like a vague state. So I would say one of the biggest mistakes is just getting excited about success, but not locking down in one's mind what what the clarity is around what that looks like. The other is, um, and I think people that are looking for success, um, they have goals, business goals. I need to do that. In order to get to the, the fifth floor executive suite, I need to go through three job promotions. I need to go back to school. I need to get this degree. I need, I need, I need. I need to know the right people, so I need to proactively start networking. And you start working off of this task list. And that task list, believe it or not, is not a good vibration for making the law of attraction work. In fact, it says to the quantum field, um, you're kind of rejecting it because you're basically saying, I know all the things I need to do to get to where I need to go, and um, I have to accomplish every single one along the way. But when you're working with the law of attraction, it's really just the eye on the prize. And the rest is, yeah, you're probably going to be pulled into certain tasks that you might have had on your list, but the energy is very different. Instead of just relying on oneself to get through all these tasks, the energetic vibration you need, the alignment you need for that ultimate goal to manifest quickly says, allow me to hear the signals from the universe to be open to the possibilities for those really cool synchronicities and coincidences that are going to fast track me along the way. If you would like to learn more about the Law of Attraction or Mary and her work, you can visit her website, portablevisions.com. Mary, thank you so much for joining us. At highway speeds, the average text takes your eyes off the road for about five seconds. That's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Stop texts, stoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.